scripture reading is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 6, from verses 27 to 42. This can be found on page 1601 in the Pew NIV Bible. Page 1601. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, Turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and you will be given to you. A good measure pressed down shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck? Or sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word read to us. We pray that you may continue to work in our hearts through your words read and preached. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Through the month of February, we, at, from the beginning of the year, actually, we've been working through the book of Luke, yeah, the Gospel of Luke. And over the last few weeks in February, we have looked at how Jesus called his disciples and calls us to follow him. And we've also seen how Jesus has authority over all things, over sickness, over sin, over sin, 
And Jesus is Lord even over religious practices because he is truly Lord of all. And then last week, we heard Jesus' proclamation of who are the ones who are truly blessed and who will be in woe. And these are not the people we generally expect to be blessed, but in fact, the opposite. Jesus turns things upside down. And so those who are poor, those who hunger, those who weep, and those who are hated because they follow Jesus, these are the ones who are blessed in the kingdom of God because they have Jesus. Blessings come solely because of Jesus and no other. On the other hand, those who are generally thought to have God's blessings, the rich, the well-fed, uh, those who laugh and those of whom people speak well. These are the ones who will have woe because more often than not, these things kind of make us forget Jesus or draw us away from Jesus. This week, we continue with chapter 6 and the whole theme of what it means to be disciples of Jesus Christ, the way of discipleship. And we look today in living in love and grace. When we think about it, love is really at the heart of God's enterprise to rescue humankind from sin. And the Apostle Paul puts it this way, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person Although, perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the Apostle John, called the Apostle of Love, puts it this way, See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so Jesus, after pronouncing blessings and woes, says this, but I tell you who hear me. And as I read that, the question came, but Jesus, they are already listening to you or you really got their attention because you have put things upside down. Why, why is he saying, but I tell you who hear me? a call to people to listen uh, better. The act of listening, listening well, really is an act of love. How often have you been speaking with someone and then when the person kind of responds to you, you know the person hasn't been listening to you. Because the person is saying something uh, kind of at cross purposes with what you're saying or you're going this way. Or how often have we caught ourselves planning the answer or rebuttal or preparing our own stories when somebody is talking and telling his or her story? 
And I remember when we were preparing or when we were being trained to lead uh, a Bible study, becoming disciples through Bible study, one of the things was to pay attention to what people are saying and uh, not kind of go off tangent because somebody can be telling an interesting story related to the subject matter. Let's say we're talking about sin and grace and somebody is telling something that happened in his or her own life and maybe mentions mother-in-law and somebody will jump in with, I know my mother-in-law did this and the whole story totally goes a different direction. That's not listening. That is putting our own interests first. Listening is to be attentive to the other person with nothing else in mind but to take in and to digest what is being said. Not having to rebut, not having to reply, not compelled to tell your own story. When we do that, the act of love is to say to the other person that you are important and what you think and what you are expressing to me is important because I care. Those who have been in my study groups, uh, you will know that right at the beginning, I say this, when someone tells you something or shares something in this study group, he or she is giving you a gift, the gift of what is in his or her heart. And the way we receive gifts is with gratitude. We don't tear the gift apart. And so if we pay attention to the other person and we listen well, without having to plan what to say, then we are receiving that gift with gratitude. It doesn't matter that we don't need to reply immediately. We can always pause and digest. And if we are really doing that, the other person will be able to see that you are thinking through and you're taking seriously what he or she has said. The second thing about listening is this, that there are so many voices that come at us. We have to listen to discern which voice is true, which voice leads to life. We have coming at us every day voices of advertisers, the voice of the world's values, the voices of people who want us to do this and that and the other. And pastor's voice is another voice that tells you do this and do that. And then, and then there is that still small voice of the Holy Spirit who doesn't shout. Sometimes God does. Like C.S. Lewis says, pain is God's way of telling us something loudly. 
But in most instances, God's voice is quiet. And we need to be listening to hear it. And often we will find the voice that resonates with our hearts, uh, the voice that tells us something about what is in our hearts, that's the voice that will draw us. We all have desires. If we don't, we are as good as dead. Like it or not, sometimes it may not be apparent to us. At the same time, our desires can be misplaced or distorted. And more often than not, these desires are the ones that speak the loudest in our lives. And so, external voices like advertisements, like status, influence, wealth, this can kind of uh, come in sync with some of the misplaced desires or distorted desires in us. And then they will speak very loudly in our ears and our hearts. And that can make us miss those voices which speak much more softly and yet more truly to our deepest desires, which are for God. Don't be mistaken. Every one of us has a desire for God. The only question is whether we recognize that or not, or whether it is buried so deeply that we don't see it. And so how do we know which voice will lead us to life? We will not unless we take time to pay attention to the voices and to look at those voices carefully. First of all, we pay attention and listen to our hearts, what is deepest in our hearts, those tugs at our hearts that look for God, rather than what is on the surface of wanting what others have or being drawn to what the world tells us is desirable. And so sometimes in the silence of our hearts, we find so many things pulling at us. But if we take time to settle in and to be quiet for a little longer, the silence uncovers what is deepest in our hearts when we get through all the noise and clamour. And the Holy Spirit will show us what our deepest longings are. And so we are called to listen. Listen to what? And the next thing, maybe that's why Jesus says, listen. Because what he says is ultimately pretty shocking. Love your enemies. Uh, Matthew puts it this way. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's natural. That's, that's what we've all grown up with. And that's how life seems to operate. But this, what Michael Card calls the centerpiece of Jesus' radical value system, love your enemies, is beyond imagination. 
beyond anything anyone would ever think of doing. And the first thought I am sure of those who hear Jesus or who were there that day would be, huh, what? Double take. It's impossible. How can we love an enemy? Truth be told, sometimes we find even some family members and some acquaintances very difficult to love. What more our enemy? And yet Jesus calls us to do that. And if Jesus calls us to it, there must be a way of doing it. Jesus doesn't call us to do things and that are really, really impossible in that sense. And so, when we look at that, Michael Card says, Jesus says, love your enemies, and then goes on to elaborate or paints a picture of what loving your enemy is like. Do good to those who hate you. Good and hate, they don't seem to go together, do they? But Dallas Willard has written that love, go, there is a, it, beyond feelings, it is a condition where we promote the good of the other for his or her own sake. Let me add that we do that with no thought of benefit to ourselves. And so doing good to those who hate us embodies this love. It is not easy, but Jesus says it can be done. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. You know, people are not very kind to Christians. If you go online and you look at some of those blogs and the things they say about Christians, your eyes also will burn. You have to wash your eyes. But when we see that, are we able to pray for them and bless them? Not God strike them with lightning, but God bless them. God do what is good for them. Can we do that? Can we pray for the good of those who hate us? And then Jesus goes on to say, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Matthew adds one more. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Sometimes we find it difficult. How many of us have lent friends books and they never came back? And those of us who treasure our books find that very difficult, don't we? Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Having said that, we also need to be wise about giving. Huh? 
if somebody who is a gambling addict come and ask you for money, you know you cannot give that person. Because even if he tells you it is for food, you know it will not end up buying food. And so we need to be wise about that and exercise love doing what is good for the other person. If you look at your bulletin cover, yeah, it shows a soldier giving another soldier water. And that soldier lying there is wounded. Uh, unfortunately, the, it's in black and white, not colour. Um, maybe, UI, if we can go back to the right, uh, the, the first slide, the very first slide. Uh, the other one, the previous one, okay. You can see that the one who is giving water is dressed in the brown uniform of the Confederacy, which is the southern part of the United States of America in the 1800s. And the one lying there is wearing the blue uniform of what are called the Union soldiers, the United States, the northern part. They went to war over slavery. And the soldier in brown, this is a picture of something that happened during the war. The soldier in brown was Sergeant Richard Kirkland. And this is his story. The Confederate uh, soldiers were winning. And wave after wave of blue-coated Yankees, the soldiers of the North, the blue uniform people fell before rebel rifles and then lay dead in this frozen battlefield. And a 19-year-old soldier, his killer instinct deserted him. All night and all day, I have heard these poor people crying for water and I can't stand it no longer, Sergeant Richard Rowland Kirkland said to his Confederate general, Joseph B. Kershaw. And this was on December 14th in winter, 1862. I came to ask permission to go and give them water. And so the general gave his consent and Sergeant Kirkland risked his life to offer wounded Union soldiers water and blankets as both armies watched guns silent for one and a half hours. Love your enemies. It is not easy, but with a heart that is turned to God, it is doable. And the rule here is do to others as you would have them do to you. And the picture in the slide is a memorial for the victims of a shooting in Emmanuel African Episcopal Methodist Church. The incident happened two years ago in June 2015, and we'll hear a little bit of their story later. The world's understanding in matters of this kind is tit for tat, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. 
When God gave that law, when God said that in the law, it was to draw a boundary beyond what was escalating. Because in those days, if you punch me and knock out my tooth, I will dig out your eye. Or so you dig out my eye, I will cut off your hand. And that was how things were in those days. And so God said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You knock out an eye, or you punch an eye, black eye, you can only go so far as to return a black eye. That's it. You knock out a tooth, you're only allowed to knock out a tooth. And over the centuries, people came to live by that, and that has become ingrained in people, and we live this today. It seems so natural. If you do this to me, I can do that back to you. And conversely, if you treat me well, I'll treat you well too. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. Familiar? I've heard someone say, you treat me well, I'll treat you better in order to put the other person at obligation to them. But that's not Jesus' way. Jesus tells us as God's children, we are to be like our Father, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. The phrase, like Father, like children, come to mind. And we have to go beyond what everyone else practices, what the world practices. See, Israel, God called out a people, in this case, Israel, and they were to be the holy ones, the ones who were to be set apart to show God's way of life to the nations by the way they live, by the way they reached out. And embedded in the law, if you read, is the command to be kind to the alien and the stranger, to receive them. Their lifestyle, Israel's lifestyle, was to be different from the other nations so that the nations will see how they treated others and treat them well, the way God treats people and turn to God. This concept or this idea of be kind to others the Hebrew have a word for it, chesed. And chesed, you can't translate it into English in, with just one word. It's not a direct translation. And the closest the translations, the early translators have come up with in the Old Testament is loving kindness. Does that sound familiar? We, uh, for those of us who are a little older, we sing the chorus, thy loving kindness is better than life. That's what this means, that word has said. Michael Card puts it this way, when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. When the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing. And we cannot expect anything from God because of our sin, yet gives me everything, and God has given us everything, life. In the New Testament, this Hebrew word is most often translated grace or mercy. 
be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And really, Luke, of all the three uh, four Gospels, Luke is the one in, in the way he tells his stories, in the way he writes, uh, centers things around this whole idea of hesed, of how Jesus reaches out to the poor, the marginalized, the least, the last, and the lost. And if we are to love our enemies, if we are to do good to those who hate us, if we are to go beyond what sinners, sinners do. Like Jesus says, sinners, and it's in inverted commas in the NIV. The first thing we need to do is to change our perspective on how we see people. More often than not, we are not able to love because we categorize people, them and us, the other people who are different from us. And then there is us, those who are similar, whether in thinking, in status, whatever it is. And it is so much easier to look at differences rather than to see what is common between us and them. And so we are called to learn to look at people the way God looks at people. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, writes this, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. And the reason is, he writes this at the end of the explanation, really, and the explanation is this, that Christ has died for all out of his great love for us. If you go and read from verse 11 onwards. And it's so easy to make a judgment on, based on outward appearances. I know when we go for job interviews, we are told you have that one minute or the first 30 seconds to make an impression because people kind of make an assessment of you or judge you in that first 30 seconds. A story is told in the 17th century France. A humanist scholar by the name of Muretus was an ailing fugitive. He was on the run from the law. And so when he came to see the medical doctors, he was dressed in rags, very poor, uh, person kind of persona. And so the doctors discussed his case in Latin, thinking he would not be able to understand them. Fesiamus experimentum in anima vili. One of them said, which means, let's try an experiment with this worthless creature. So you can imagine what was on their faces when this Popper replied, also in Latin, Willem animum appellas pro qua Christus non dedignatus est mori, will you call worthless one for whom Christ did not disdain to die. Looking at people from the perspective of the world leads to us 
judging them. And when Jesus says, do not judge and you will not be judged, he is referring to that act of judging which is synonymous with condemnation. This is not about assessing something to know whether the thing is right or wrong or good or evil. We need that. We need discernment. This is not about discernment. This judging that Jesus is talking to is jumping to conclusions about people even before we know much about that person. H.A. Ironside uh, wrote a book, Illustrations of Bible Truth, and in it he tells this story of a man called Bishop Potter. This bishop was sailing for Europe on one of the great transatlantic ocean liners. When he went on board, he found that he had to share a cabin with another passenger. And so after he had a look at the cabin and looking at the bunk space where he was to stay and all that for the duration of the trip, he came up to the purser's desk, the person in charge of money on the ship, and asked if he could leave his gold watch and other valuable in the ship's safe. And so he explained that he ordinarily he would never avail of himself that privilege. But he had been to the cabin and he had met the man who was to occupy the other berth. And judging from his appearance, he was afraid, maybe not very trustworthy, this person. And so the purser accepted responsibility for the valuables. And as he did so, he said this, Oh, that's all right, Bishop. I'll be very glad to take care of them for you. The other man has been up here and left his for the same reason. <laughs> Oops. And you know, Jesus says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it'll be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Luke seems kinder in his rendition of this. In Matthew's version, Jesus says, Do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way as you judge, you too will be judged. And with the measure you give, it will be measured to you. Nothing about forgive and you will be forgiven. That, that comes in other parts of the Sermon on the Mount. But the rule is this, really. The truth is this. When we judge others, we end up being like the person we judge. And therefore, others will then judge us with the same judgment we have judged other people. How many of us have kind of judged one or the other of our parents and said, I would never be like this. And to our horror, years later, we find ourselves behaving exactly like our mother or father. I see some people laughing. It does happen. And so we need to 
watch what we judge or who we judge. It's common for us to pass judgment on others before we have come to know the details of their situation. And it happens to the best of us. Um, how many of you know the name Chuck Swindle, Dr. Charles Swindle? He is a, some of us do, eh? he's a well-known Christian, a speaker, pastor, author. And at a pastor's conference, um, he, he shared this story. He was at a Christian camp, the speaker, and on the first day, this man approached him and told him how greatly he looked forward to listening to Dr. Swindle and how delighted he was to be able to fulfill his desire. He had, he had never heard Dr. Swindle in person, and so here he was uh, attending the camp and being able to listen to Dr. Swindle. And so that evening, uh, Dr. Swindle noticed that man sitting somewhere near the front, um, but only a few minutes after he started speaking, the man was sound asleep. And Swindle thought, well, this is the first day, you know, we've travelled from a distance, and so he was probably tired out, couldn't help himself. But then Dr. Swindle found this happening over the next few nights. And he started getting very exasperated with this person. Here you are telling me your greatest desire to hear me and you're falling asleep while I'm talking. On that last night, the man's wife came up and apologized to Dr. Swindle for her husband's inattention. She explained that he had recently been diagnosed as having terminal cancer and the medication he was taking to ease the pain made him extremely sleepy. But it had been one of his lifelong ambitions to hear Dr. Swindle speak before he died, and now he had fulfilled that goal. It's okay if you fall asleep in my sermons. Just let me know you're on medication. But it's true. He didn't know. And so the, the exasperation was a sign that he had judged that man. And it's often that we see faults in others. And more often than not, the, we, we get exasperated or we get annoyed with faults that actually we have. And sometimes I wonder when I start getting exasperated or irritated, if I don't have that fault too, and I know I am capable, very capable of that. And so we need to be mindful, as uh, one Franciscan priest said when he saw a man being led off to the gallows, there but for the grace of God go I. If it was not for God's grace, we could end up in similar situations. And so that's why Jesus tells us, take that plank out of your eye before removing the speck from the other person's eye. Deal with yourself first before you make that judgment on the other person. Same thing, that story, if you remember, the woman caught in adultery 
and they said, who should throw the first stone? And Jesus said, well, the one who is without sin, throw the first stone. Love your enemies, Jesus said. And that means showing them grace, giving them what they have no right to expect. Let me end with another story. On the night of 17 June 2015, a gunman opened fire in a church basement in Charleston. Nine people died, five survived. And that's the byline on the cover of a Time magazine after the shooting at Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina. The gunman was a white young man. He sat through the Bible study. It was on the parable of the sower about good soil and not good soil and bearing fruit. And after the Bible study, as people were closing their books, he pulled out a gun and fired on the people in the class. He, go, he was caught because uh, closed-circuit TV footage cameras had captured photos. They took uh, his image and it was broadcast on TV and somebody reported and he was taken in. And then they had the bond hearing, and that's where the family members of the victims were invited to say something. Two of these family members went up and said they forgave this man. That's the way of Jesus. But the other members of the families, the different families struggled with this. The people in that Bible study group had come to know each other and they were close. One, uh, in fact, there were several pastors in that uh, group and one of them had just been recommended for ordination, made a new minister, a lady. Another one had just been accepted transferred in from a Baptist church and was about to be made a minister as well. And so family members struggled with this. They said it was too soon. They had to work through their hurts. And loving enemies, because they are enemies, also means forgiveness. And that's why Jesus said, forgive and you will be forgiven. But forgiveness takes time. We must never short-circuit this. It's very easy to tell someone when we are not the ones hurt, forgive him lah, you know, Jesus said forgive. But we need to acknowledge and recognise that hurt, that loss, because when we have been hurt, we have lost something. And we need to recognise that and to work through it and to allow Jesus to touch us. Having said that, if we left it to our feelings, we will never forgive. And so forgiveness and loving our enemies is really an act of will to say, I forgive. Dr. Steve Siemens in his book, Wounds That Heal on the 
healing power of the cross, says this, that, you know, forgiveness is like an express train. It goes first, the act. The feelings are like the freight train. It chugs a long way behind and it, it, it will be some time before the feelings catch up with that act. And we need to acknowledge that we must not trivialize the wounds or the need to forgive. But loving our enemies is not impossible. Not as impossible as we think because Jesus has walked that road before and makes it possible for us to do the same. God loves every person, you and me. You know that song, Jesus loves me, this I know. Many people know that song. They've learned that song from very young. And they've grown up with it. And if they forget everything else, this is one of the songs they remember. And Jesus came to show us that love. And God wants us to know and to experience that love. And so he invites us into this life of love. Let us pray.